Welcome to Allison's Wonderland. I'm your host, Allison Packard. Join us as we journey through the looking glass and down the rabbit hole into the wild and wonderful world of animation and video games. Hey, do a girl a favor and please subscribe to this podcast and go on iTunes and leave us a good review. If you like the show, please help spread the word. It really helps us to get heard by more people. Thanks so much. Hey, hey, happy Wonderland Wednesday. You know what that means? It's time for another episode of Inside Allison's Wonderland. You guys, today our special guest is Lindsay Rousseau. I'm so excited to bring Lindsay to our show. It's so funny, last week we were chatting with Caitlin Robron and she brought up Lindsay's name and we had a last minute cancel and I was checking out Lindsay and I was like, Lindsay seems like she would be an amazing guest on the show. So it all worked out perfect. And I'm so excited to bring her onto the show today. She's an award-winning actress, best known for Alita in Transformers, War for Cybertron, as well as a ton of other roles in both video games, motion capture, and animation. So I hope you guys uh, join me down the rabbit hole. And please welcome Lindsay to Allison's Wonderland. Let's see. One more second. How's everybody doing there? Is everybody having a good week so far? What's up, Jeff? Hey, Peter. Hey, Sebastian. Good to see your face. Brickman Mosaic Art, always good to have you on here. Jan Mort TV. Chloe, Angela, Tamar, thank you for joining us. Peyton, hey, Jeffrey, how's it going? Hunter, thank you for your kind words. And what's up, Jordan Fernandez? Chris Brown, we got Curry Tyler in the house. You guys, I want you to know how much it means to me that those of you that really make an effort to show up week after week, We've been going for over a year now, and it is so much like a Wonder Fam here. All the people that join in on a weekly basis. So thank you guys. I really do appreciate it. Okay, let me just shoot Lindsay a quick text. And uh, will you guys type in one word for how you all are feeling tonight? Hey, Michael Myers, you're doing well. Oh, Wonder Fam. I think, tomorrow. I think we've coined a new term here. Hey, Chris, welcome. Okay, let's see. So let's see, Lindsay. So go ahead and request to join. Let me see. Okay, I can invite. So guys, put your hands together for Lindsay Roussel. Hi! How are you? Good. All right, let me tilt those back. Okay. I know it Instagram always like it's like my framing. Hey, I know it totally does that. Hey, Lindsay, how are you? I'm good. Thanks. And hello to everyone. Thanks so much for joining. Yeah, I love how you spell your name, by the way. Well, you can thank my mother for that, but thank you. <laughs> As a person with a unique spelled name, I feel like it's it's such a good thing if you're a performer because right. then you're easy to track down. It's true. It's true. When I went to register for SAG, I was like, here's my stuff. And um, oops, that's weird filters. Stop. And I was like, do you need to check and make sure someone has it? And they're like, no, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, we don't even need to check. Just trust us. You're golden. They didn't need to. Oh, well, it's so nice to meet you. Yeah, you too. Sorry, I'm still trying to figure out this Instagram. I'm like, why is there now all the comments are up over your face? It's fine. I'm not even going to Yes. Watch. Well, you can always we swipe down. <laughs> You can always um, tap on the comments, I think, too. Oh, tap on the screen 
above the comments to get rid of them if you need to. And for anybody that just might be tuning in for the first time, I want to let you guys know that down at the bottom, do you see there's a little box with question mark? If you have questions for Lindsay, we'll try and save a few minutes at the end. So popping them in there and we'll do our best to get to them. Yay. How have we never met? I think that's so crazy, huh? No, that's insane to me. I'm like, we know all the same people. I, I'm like, there has to have been a workshop or something at some point or some mixer. And we just didn't realize we met each other. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's good to good to be acquainted anyways. Wow. You have such um, an interesting biography and such, um, such a cool and unique body of work. And I'm really excited to chat with you. It feels like we have... A lot in common. Yeah. First off, I saw that both your parents are park rangers. And yeah, I'm tired that's now, so yeah. cool. So did you grow up in the park range park system? Yeah, we moved every couple years. So I lived in so many different places growing up. Yeah. Wow. And you would you be what were your accommodations like? Were they like cabins um, or well, tents? When we were younger, we, we lived in park housing, which was just uh -huh. you know, a lot of you know, some of them were like old military bases. So it was houses, but then when we got older we had, you know, houses that were not on the park property, but off, and they commuted into work. So, yeah. Wow. Do you have any siblings? I do. I have a younger brother. He is a stuntman, actually, here in L.A. No way. Yeah. <laughs> so were you guys just, was nature your playground? Were you just constantly? It really was. It really yeah. was. Like, we were constantly outside and building forts and just, like, yeah, just the outdoors. And for both of us, like, the outdoors is kind of where we go to rejuvenate and deal with stress you know like hiking and camping and stuff like that we're still both very very active in that and i scuba dive and yeah that's so cool yeah we my family are we're big campers too and we have three years ago we bought a little travel trailer so we go up and down you know mainly southern california because i have a five and a half year old and it's it's just was like a one of our top priorities to be able to give him that gift of being able to be out in nature because yeah. LA is just urban sprawl. So. It but it's really close to a lot of really amazing places. Like you can be in the woods in less than 30 minutes, you know, yeah. live. so yeah. Yeah, what, so what, what states did you mainly grow up? Let's see here. So I was born in North Carolina and then we moved, so Great Smoky Mountains to Sequoia to- Sequoia, California? Sequoia, yeah. Up oh, wow. To where my brother was born, and then Gateway Arch in St. Louis, and then we moved to Cape Cod and lived in two different places there, and then Pennsylvania, and then Northern Virginia, and then that's where we kind of we settled. Like, so I went to high school in Northern Virginia in college, and then my parents retired from there. So yeah, wow, that's so amazing. I grew up in Massachusetts, not too far oh. from Cape Cod. Yay! Yeah, we lived in Wellfleet and East Ham. How amazing. I don't think I've ever been camping out there. My family was not big campers. <laughs> we got into later, but yeah. wow, that's so cool. And so you, you mentioned that your acting and your performing really grounded you throughout the process of moving around so much. Can you talk a little bit about what it was that grounded you in performing? Yeah. So obviously, you know, when you're younger, like moving is, is, is very stressful and chaotic. And, you know, in, in hindsight, I love that I moved a lot, but at the time, you know, it's like new school, new friends, and that's always really hard to do, especially because a lot of the places we moved 
people had lived there their whole lives. So it's kind of hard being the outside person. But, you know, music was obviously something I could do at home on my own, but it was also a way to connect with other people because it's like I would instantly be joining the bands, the orchestras, the choirs, as well as, you know, doing community theater and, you know, local dance studios and things like that. And so that for me was my easiest way to be able to make new friends and connect with people, you know, as opposed to just trying to like navigate the, the school hallways and all the clicks and everything. So yeah. middle schoolers are not generally nice. So. Oh, no. And you know, and like, and then at home, like if I was having stressful days or something, I'd just go and like play the piano for hours or something and, you know, practice or sing or something like that. So, so for me, it was, it was a passion and, you know, I was, I ended up becoming competitive, you know, doing all the different musical, like all state choirs and all state bands and all those things that you have to audition for. And, but then it's like, I could also just do it for fun for myself if I needed to. Yeah. And so how many instruments do you play? Now, piano, flute, and piccolo. I also used to play- Piccolo! I played quadratoms and marching band. Yeah, they're, they're, they're the drums that's like four or five drums out in front. Cause okay. I didn't have to play flute and marching band cause it was stupid and I was, bored and so they i was like i'm just gonna play drums and so they let me and then when i was young young i also dabbled in the clarinet but yeah <laughs> wow and then I trained in opera and musical theater and so yeah so yeah that's so interesting that you really have the the foundation of performing and music and then you later decided to join the army yeah i mean i went to college before that too okay yeah, so I, I did go, I went to William and Mary for undergrad, and I studied soci sociology and cultural anthropology as well as music, and then also was doing local community theater, and I was a really big activist in college, so, you know, environmental issues and women's issues, human rights issues, I was in so many protests, I can't even keep track of them anymore. But then, you know, life happens, it throws you curveballs, and you have to pivot, and, you know, I ended up in a really bad situation, and the army seemed like really the only way out of it, and so that's how I ended up in the army. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So. And you kind of carved out your own thing there too, doing journalism and photography. Yeah. So I, I knew because I was like, okay, well, I'm doing this. Well, I'm going to do it smart. And I, I, when I went to the recruiter, I specifically said, you know, I want to be public affairs and combat photography. Mm -hmm. um, and like, we don't have any openings. And I was like, okay, bye. And they're like, oh, we have an opening. And I was like, I thought you might. So yeah, I was very specific about that. And so when I, yeah, when I was in the military, I was doing photography and videography and writing articles and, you know, making videos and, and things like that. So yeah. Did you have, were they training you on that kind of thing or had college taught you? Well, obviously, because I'd already, I'd already been to college. So yes. writing for me was something that came very easily because I'd had to do so much of that. But I did go to advanced training, military training for this, but it totally changed. So I went to go train to be like a radio DJ, like Good Morning mm -hmm. Vietnam or a TV anchor, you know, at one of the armed forces television and radio stations. And while we were at our training, we got word that the army was changing how they were doing things. And instead of going to a TV station or something, we were now all going to be tiny little units at these infantry brigades, uh, which were newly formed. And so we were like, you know, there was only three of us and we were just essentially the internal public affairs team and photography team for this 4,000 person brigade. So I was not in a nice posh studio like my little Air Force friends were. <laughs>
Wow. Yeah. And so you had to do boot camp and all that. Oh, oh, just... oh yeah, all those things. Yeah. <laughs> do you feel that the army taught you discipline? I mean, I feel like I was definitely very disciplined as a person anyways, just because, you know, my parents raised us like that, you know, we were kind of the overachievers, you know, just mm -hmm. really dedicated to our academics. And then obviously, like with our with music and with all of that, and, and I did a lot of volunteer work. So I always felt like that was something I already kind of naturally had. But obviously, the army makes you even more diligent about about, you know, that type of thing. So when you were in the army, what what were your were your goals performing or did you were you hoping to take that out of it or were you well i mean obviously there was i mean i obviously had to put music and theater on the side mm -hmm. while while i had this detour in my life so photography was my artistic outlet you know when i was mm -hmm. in the military and videography you know creating i just you know i really got into learning composition and, and lighting and all of that because you know i was doing combat photography so it's like you're out you know sometimes it's really chaotic and it's hectic and yeah you know, in the middle of whatever and other times you have time to take with it and then also having to create you know morale videos and memorial videos and things like that and you know really using well, especially a musical ear for that because you're adding music and mixing and everything but but yeah the acting and the you know the hardcore music was was put on hold for for several years yeah and I mean, there's been other performers that have made that transition, like Rob Regal and Arlie, Ernie and stuff. Have you connected yeah. with anyone else that in, in Hollywood that made the similar uh, transition as yeah, you did? Yeah, there's, there's actually an organization called Veterans in Media and Entertainment. And I, I connected with them pretty early on. I actually connected with them when I was still in San Francisco. And they used to be pretty active. And it was, you know, I was able to do quite a bit of networking and get to meet people. Unfortunately, they've kind of changed how they operate now and they're more focused on like the below the line people as opposed to the performers and so there hasn't been as many um opportunities but i did meet you know a couple really great people who who had done you know similar who'd had similar experiences and have met uh, just on my own you know like zeke alton which if you haven't had him on the show have him on the show he's amazing he's retired navy just massive badass but also a brilliant brilliant actor so yeah there's 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 a few of us around not many but there's a few of us here in the city <laughs> yeah uh, so how was that transition you know it was interesting i was medically discharged and so i did take a little bit of time you know i was on unemployment trying to figure out what to do with my life and i was like well you know i've I've been doing this journalism thing and this photography thing. Maybe I should just keep doing it. And I was like, but I also really like international relations. So I took several months, you know, to study for the GREs, which is the graduate entrance exam. And I applied to like five international relations master's programs and like five journalism programs. And then I was accepted to all of them. But one of the schools was UC Berkeley. And uh -huh. I always wanted to go to Berkeley to Cal. And so I was like, well, decision made. So I drove from Fort Campbell, Kentucky, all the way to Berkeley and wow. uh, 2008. And yeah, spent two years at their journalism school and getting my master's in journalism. And then I was working for PBS Frontline while I was there as an associate producer and a researcher. And then I was also a Carnegie Fellow for ABC News's investigative program in, in New York for a little bit, and then also doing freelance stuff as well. Because you're you're a working journalist while you're pursuing your master's, so yeah. 
Wow. And, and you also, let's see, you had the opportunity to have your project produced, your um, UC Berkeley Graduate School pro project, Rape in the Fields. Yeah. So that was for my master's thesis. I spent two years investigating the sexual assault of female farm workers in America. So I drove all over California and like North Carolina and Pennsylvania doing all of these interviews and research. And, uh, you know, I, I wrote up the day my my article ended up getting published through the Center for Investigative Reporting. And then Frontline was busy with a lot of other projects at the time. And I had actually made the decision after I graduated and had finished up this project made the decision that I was going to step away from journalism and return to, to performing, to acting. And I got a call a year later saying, hey, we want to produce your story now. And I was like, oh, great. And they're like, but we're not going to bring you back on as a journalist. We just want all your resources and your sources and your interviews and everything. And so I, I thought hard about it because I was like, oh, this is my baby. I don't mm. know if I can do this. But I was like, no, this is a story that really, really needs to get told. And so yeah, I, I helped them and gave them everything that I have. And it came out really well. It ended up it's been their most award winning documentary ever, um, which was amazing. They produced an English version of it, and then a Spanish version of it for Telemundo. So you know, it hurt my pride a little bit. But it, it, it I was really happy that the, the story got out. So yeah, it sounds almost like it was the perfect situation because if they'd asked you to come back, right, I would have been like, "Ooh, I don't know." No, like, you might have gotten sucked back in. Yeah, exactly. And my my path could have gone very very differently. <laughs> wow, that's so amazing. So, so yeah. did did you stay in this Bay Area after you graduated? Yeah. So I, when I left journalism, I decided to go back into theater. And so I did theater pretty much full time for the next six years while I was in the San Francisco Bay area. Um, but then I also got my, my teaching service, my substitute teaching certification. So I was working as a substitute teacher and a paraprofessional and then teaching kids musical theater and singing lessons and working as a brand ambassador for a granola bar company while doing theater. And I was literally just rotating from one show to the next. Like if I was in rehearsals for one, I was in performances for another and just overlapping. And yeah, I did that for, for like six years and then was like, I need to make a living and not kill myself and get some sleep. And that's yeah. when I kind of, you know, made the transition into to doing voiceover, mostly voiceover, and then, you know, some on camera work as well. Up, up north? Yeah, yeah, in San Francisco. Yeah. So I, I, I kept doing theater for a couple of years after that. So yeah, I started um, and did video for a couple of years in San Francisco. And then finally was like, you know, this is this is kind of working out for me. I'm really enjoying this, like, having decent success. You know, if I really I'm serious about this, you know, I need to move to LA because that's where the big dogs are, you know, and, and I, I knew I really, really wanted to do, you know, I love video games. And, yeah. uh, you know, San Francisco obviously has a big gaming industry, but all the AAA titles are still casting out of LA. You know, occasionally, there's some casting out of San Francisco, you know, that I'll see through my San Francisco agent, you know, but the bulk of it is is coming through LA. And obviously, all of the animation is down here. And there's just there's a lot more work to be had here than you know San Francisco even though so many of us work remotely and I do have you know regional agents and everything but you know it's still it makes a big difference being here yeah and and how was that you know getting your feet you know just even coming from you know this bucolic mountainous you know <laughs> nature focused childhood and then kind of winding up in this 
you know, concrete jungle here. Yeah. Difficult I, mean, again, I love it. I mean, I, I was in the Bay Area, you know, which is also very metropolitan. You know, I was in the Berkeley side of things, but I was in San Francisco all the time and watched it change drastically as all the tech companies moved in. But for yeah. me, honestly, I think because I moved so much growing up, I'm just very adaptable. I'm just like, okay, this is where I am now. Now it's home. But like I said, you know, it's so easy to get to anywhere to go camping or hiking or swimming or scuba diving or whatever. Yeah. So, so that's the big thing. And also I'm like, I'm vegan. So it's nice to be able to like have many options for eating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. What are some of your favorite camp spots? Yeah. I, down here, I haven't done a lot. I'm actually in December, I'm going to be camping in Joshua Tree in Death Valley. So I did camp in Catalina last year. I took yeah. I decided at two I just, huh? At two harbors or? No, at uh, Avalon. So okay. there's a campground, you just walk up. Cause I, it was the middle of the pandemic and I was like, you know what, I need to get out. And I, I did like a big long scuba diving weekend and just like took all my camping gear and my scuba gear and then like hiked two miles from the port to the campsite. And it was like the cheapest trip ever. <laughs> except for the ferry. <laughs> yeah, except for the ferry, right, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so amazing. Yeah, so let's talk about Alita. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm curious, was Transformers one of the, fr did you grow up with that franchise? Were you a fan when you, you were know, a kid? I, I did, I watched it. Yeah. I mean, I definitely watched like the original animated series and my parents every year would give us Transformers because my parents were big fans of whatever toys we had. Like they wanted to make sure it was also something that would like stimulate our mind and, you know, Transformers are very tactile and you have to figure out how to put them in together and so forth. So, so I did, you know, grow up with that. I wasn't like deep into the lore, you know, reading the comic books or everything, but obviously, you know, watched it, was very aware of it and how massive of a franchise it is, you know, mm -hmm. and that there's just so many amazing fans and it's had so many different iterations. So it's like anyone in this country, if you say Transformer, they're going to know what you're talking about. They might not be able to like, they'll, they'll probably be able to name like Megatron and Optimus Prime. That might be it. But I think pretty much everyone in the country would know what a Transformer is and know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So what was it like, you know, uh, booking that role? What, what was that experience? Were you so excited? Yeah. It was, it was, it was amazing. So when I auditioned for it, I had no idea what it was. It was codenamed. They mm -hmm. changed the script. So you couldn't, you know, cause everybody in the city is, is very, very worried about, you know, leaks and so forth. And so I didn't know what it was when I auditioned and then totally forgot about it. Like we always do in this, in this <laughs> industry audition, forget about it, move on. And then like three, four months later, I got a phone call or I got an email saying, Hey, you have a callback, an in-person callback. And I was like, Oh, okay. And they're like for this project. And I had to look up what it was. I didn't even remember. And I was just like, Oh, okay. It's a soldier character was all mm -hmm. like, and so went in for the, for the directed callback. And that's when they told me what it was. And I was just like, Oh, this is a big deal. Okay. No pressure, no pressure, you know? And then, you know, was, was, was lucky enough to book the role, which was, which was fantastic, obviously. But yeah, I definitely know when they, when they, when I had that moment, they told me what it was like, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta go. I loved the character, you know, she's a soldier, she's a warrior. I was really able to relate with her on a lot of levels, which mm -hmm. was, which was really nice. Yeah. And how's it been working on the project? Well, I mean, we, so we recorded 
like two years before the show aired, you know, because they did the recordings first before the animation and they had camera roughs on us, you know, so the animators could use our facial expressions when they were animating. So we recorded, I recorded all of season one in one session. And then I think like six months later, I came in and recorded season two. And then a couple months later, recorded in one three. session. Yeah, yeah, because it's only six episodes, six 20, 30 mm -hmm. minute episodes per season. And so, it's yeah, the four hour so. session knocked out the entire season. And so, you know, I'd already recorded all three seasons long before season one dropped on Netflix. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And has uh, the fan response been, been oh, good? It's amazing. Like, as soon as I was able, to make the because you know the character Alita One is she's not a well-known known transformer, but she should be because like you know if you look at the comic books, she has a much more prominent role in the comic books. She's you know she's essentially Optimus Prime's right hand bot. She like leads her own army of a, a lot of the other female Autobots, and she's just this amazing character. But in the animated series and of course the features, she briefly appeared in the G One version, and that was about it. So. I was amazed when I was able to announce it and I started getting tweets and Instagram messages from people and realized like there's this whole fan base out there who just loves this character and we're so excited that she was finally going to have a chance to to really shine and you know they could they could hear more of her story yeah. so it was it was really great to see just just the outpouring of love from fans over over the character and of course that there was a new transformers franchise coming out and, and you started some hashtags burns right <laughs> yeah jeff, shout out to jeff who i know is yeah. here that yeah we were we were just brainstorming you know like well how can we get some stuff trending or i don't even know if it ever trended it probably didn't but you know it made us feel better but it's like okay so she's this warrior she's this leader i'm a, you know i'm a soldier she's a soldier and that's kind of where we came up with the the Alita Army hashtag because and she did in the comics she did have like her Alita Army and then also I I it was really because you know one of the big things I really advocate for in this industry is like you know I'm a huge geek and you know women and you know female identifying people have a lot of times felt very excluded from the geek sphere you know there's been a lot of sexism and abuse and you know harassment when when people who are not white cis males try to find a place for themselves in the geek community. Mm -hmm. And it was really important to me to try and highlight all of the amazing female characters that are in the geek world. So in animation and video games and comics, you know? And so that's where the Be Alita came from was I really wanted to take this opportunity to, you know, obviously Alita one is this amazing female character, but I was like, but there's so many others out there. And I bet there's people wondering like for the little girls out there, you know, who are like, well, you know, comics are for boys. It's like, no, 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 no. And I had people tell me that, well, Transformers are for boys. And I was like, you stop right there. And so, you know, and with Jeff's help, obviously, we every day, you know, we put out a tweet highlighting a different amazing female character that is in the geek sphere and um, have actually gotten really great messages back from some people, you know, saying like, wow, thanks so much for doing this. And, you know, my daughter loves your character. And it's so mm -hmm. great to see like there's other female characters out there. And so that's been that's been really heartwarming to hear that because we all just want to find our place in this crazy world. <laughs> yeah. 
And you've also segued your love of geek culture into a podcast live. Yeah, yeah. So this is another, you know, because all of us in voiceover were lucky enough to be able to keep working during the pandemic, which was, which was wonderful, you know, with our home studios. But, you know, I was like, I had a little more free time because I wasn't having to drive around to on-camera auditions, which I could be in the car for hours sometimes. Or, mm -hmm. you know, I had fewer studio sessions. Well, no studio sessions for months and months and months. So everything was from home. And I was like, I was, I was producing and streaming for a, a tabletop gaming company for a D&D &D Twitch stream. <laughs> and was thinking of ways to expand content I was like, you know, I just I've always wanted to do a talk show, you know, I used to do a lot of hosting back when I was a journalist. And so my good friend Genevieve Marie and I decided to start this talk show called the rollout August because September, of your September. Transformers gig? Huh? Is, is it the, called the rollout because of your transformation? No, it was, actually, it, was actually, uh, it was actually inspired by, because we originally started as a and d, &D tabletop gaming okay. kind of focus show, because that was the network we were on. And yes. so like our original branding was like a D20. And so the rollout was like, okay, you're rolling <laughs> dice, but we're all also rolling out new news. So, but it also is a Transformers phrase. So, you know, it's like all the little things. Kismet. Uh, yeah, it, it really was. Yeah. So we started that over a year ago, it would have been last. And then, you know, yeah. we kind of took it on our own and decided, you know, about six months ago, you know, like, you know, we've done enough with tabletop gaming, like we were both really big into video games. And obviously, everything else geek culture, she's a she's a world renowned cosplayer. And so we now just kind of cover everything from film and TV and video games and comics and anime. And yeah, we do it every week. So and you want to tell everybody where they can check it out? Yeah, you guys can go to YouTube, um, just YouTube slash C slash the rollout. And we drop new episodes every Friday at New Pacific or if podcasts are your thing, you can find the podcast version of it on any podcast server out there. You know, we're hosted by Anchor, so I know you can find it on Sirius and a bunch of the other podcast servers. But yeah, you know, we, we premiere the episodes live, but of course they're always out there. So if you, <laughs> I'm sure we have an episode for someone, for everyone, you know, because we've covered so many things now. So yeah. So you, you record them on your own time, but then premiere them live. Is that what you do? That's yeah. I think well, what, what we're For the we're first six months, we were doing them live, live on Twitch. Mm -hmm. um, and that yeah. was like early in the pandemic that wasn't too bad because both of us had really flexible schedules. She, she also works, my, my co-host works at Disneyland as well. And so she was furloughed. But then when work really started picking up a lot more, she had to go back to Disney. I was having to do studio sessions and, you know, a lot of other things. We decided, you know what, we're going to, and also Twitch just wasn't the right medium for us either. We decided, you know, we're just going to do YouTube and podcast and uh, we're, we're going to pre-record them because it's just much more flexible, especially trying to get guests as well. It's, you know, it's a little easier, especially if you're dealing with time zones and stuff to, to be mm -hmm. able to be flexible when it comes to recording. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's so exciting. Now I'm curious, uh, you also enjoy cosplaying as well as your co-host Genevieve. Sometimes. I, I occasionally dress up. <laughs> what was that? I said occasionally I will dress up. I won't go uh -huh. as a cosplayer. Like what she does is far beyond what I have ever done. <laughs> <laughs> well, what about LARPing? You know, I've always wanted to and I never have. Like I, I uh, so I, I 
do, I used to do a lot of reenactment actually. Growing up, I used to volunteer at this 18th century colonial farm. And so I worked there for many, many, many years and then would come back once a year to do these festivals. So I did a lot of historical reenactment and then used to play with foam medieval weapons in foam? high school before <laughs> LARPing was even a thing. We just thought we were having fun beating each other with foam weapons. And then apparently it becomes a thing. And I know several people who are big into the LARPing community, but I've actually never done it. Yeah. Wow. Gonna have to at one point, I think. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> Girl, we're gonna get our LARP on someday. <laughs> I mean, I have elf ears and a bow, so lots of swords, so. <laughs> Now, also, I know that you are a proudly queer performer and you're very active with LGBTQ+. So I was wondering, how do you think the in industry has really changed or improved in terms of queer representation since you began? Yeah, that's a, that's a really great question. And that's something that, you know, I've been talking to a lot of people about lately, you know, because I've, I've, you know, I know JP with Queervox. Um, yeah. Well, and, you know, I've taught for them a couple of times. <laughs> And the fact that an organization like Queerbox even exists is fantastic, you know, to have a safe space for, for you know, queer performers to, to be able to talk and communicate and everything. But it's really interesting, you know, we, we originally, you know, especially in voiceover, started seeing, and, and on camera too, the big push for more representation in media in general, you know. Yeah. So now we're getting you know, ethnicities from all over the place, you know, better represented in film and television. And so while there was a lot of progress with that, you know, the one thing people were talking about was like, well, there still isn't that much progress when you talk about queer representation. It's like, okay, we have those iconic gay characters and like, we have the L word, you know, and lesbian characters and stuff. But it was still kind of taboo and people didn't really know how to do it right. But over the past, I would say within the past five years and maybe even the past two, two or three years, I've definitely seen it's become much more important, not just in the adult sphere, but in, um, you, you know, obviously you do animation as well, but it's been now an issue in the kids sphere as well. And, you know, where Previously, you have like Legends of Korra and the creators were like, well, she was always supposed to be a lesbian, but we weren't allowed to do it. Nickelodeon wouldn't let us. And now Nickelodeon like has amazing queer characters in some of their shows and obviously Disney and all that. So it's really exciting to see that there is more representation of the whole gamut. So it's not just lesbian and gay. It's like you have shows that have the non-binary characters and Hey guys, this is Allison Packard. Sorry to interrupt, but I just wanted to let you know that if you like the show, please, please, please remember to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us to get heard by more people. Thanks so much. You know, I always tell people, I'm like, if you want to see a show that just nails representation, watch Sex Education on Netflix. Um, <laughs> it's not for everyone, but it is a show that I'm just like, they understood and just represent the whole spectrum, you know, and, and now you do have casting. And th this is a big sticky topic right now, because, you know, those of us who got into voiceover, we do because we can be whoever we want and we can, mm. you know, actors. But you do now have casting directors who are like, hey, we'd like to cast authentically and love it or hate it and i have friends on both sides of the spectrum that that hate that they're asking it and i have friends that love that they're asking it you know it's it's at least something that casting is aware of and that's mm -hmm. something i really appreciate and now i think most any animated series you turn on is gonna have some queer character you know just because we have seen changes over the years and then obviously in the on-camera world as well i mean it's still not where 
it probably needs to be, but that's the case for female representation. I mean, women are still horribly represented in the industry. I mean, you know, the percentage of roles from male to female is still just, you know, there's a huge, yeah. huge, on that. <laughs> you know, and then if you're a woman over 40, it's even worse. So it's like, you know, there's, there's a lot of work to be done in this industry, but at least it's being talked about. Yeah. And what, so what changes would you like to see happen? You know, I personally, I was just having this conversation with a friend the other day because we were talking about disability representation because I have a couple friends who work in that sphere. And one of the, you know, one of the things we were talking about is like, you know, we would just like to see opportunities open for everyone and that it's not just defaulted white male. Cause you know, like with a lot of the on-camera auditions I get, it's like, and I coach people on auditions too. And it's like the delivery guy, default male, you know, the post person, default male, the bartender, default male. It's like, and, and the, the, the Gina Davis Institute has, has, you know, is great about this. It's like, you know, if you have a script, you have these characters, if it's not pertinent to the story, what or who they are, make it open to anyone. Does it matter if this character is in a wheelchair? Is that gonna impact the story? No, okay, then let's open up casting to anybody and everybody, you know? And she, you know, there, she always says, if you have a script, go through the script and just make half the roles female. And I think the same thing could be said for, you know, other minority representation and, and you know there's there's been a lot of talk about blind casting and whether or not that actually has has worked well i don't know people were talking about bridgerton and kind of the blind casting that they were doing sorry what, i'm not familiar with that term oh blind. so basically blind casting meaning it doesn't matter what the ethnicity is like okay. white mom you know black son you know whatever it, it's mm -hmm. just you're casting whomever is right for the job and so for me i would like to see that where it's like okay every script that comes out now is going to be 50 50 gender parity and you know whatever roles if it's not crucial to the story that it can be open to anybody you know whoever you know is ends up being right for the role and i just i i feel like there's still so many restrictions put on this industry and you know and so much of it is like okay well if you're pretty it's a lot easier for you to succeed in hollywood and you know so it just i i would like and i also would like to see more authentic stories coming out as opposed to things feeling stereotyped or shoehorned but that goes to the larger conversation about getting people you have to get those voices in the writer's room in the director's chair in the producers, you know, mm -hmm. ranks, because even if you're creating stories that have like diverse faces, if it's still mostly middle-aged white men making all the choices, you're still not going to get those authentic stories. And so I think it's really, really important that we try to lift up these minority voices and get their stories told and that, you know, people in all the crew positions, you know, from the engineers to the gaffers and the grips and everything. It's like we make sure that it feels like a safe space for everybody to be able to work. And that then I feel like, you know, Shonda Rhimes won't be an anomaly. Like she won't be the only person doing this. Like, no, now this is just the norm. You know, everybody's telling these stories. Yeah. 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 Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, 
in a completely different transition. Can yep. you tell us about your experience on To Tell the Truth? Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, How that crazy was, was that? That was so fun. Yeah. So I, I had never, I'd never heard of the show. I don't watch reality TV or game shows or whatever. But when I got, you know, I got the audition, it was literally, they're just like, okay, you're just going to improv with the casting director. I was like, okay, great. I've done improv for 20 years. Let's do it. Um, and literally for the audition, they're just like, okay, so you are the lead chef to the president do whatever you want with that. Pick who the president is, blah, 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 and just go. And I literally just like carried this scene and they asked me questions. And this went on for like 10, 20 minutes. And my, <laughs> actually, my friend was here watching it happen because I was in the middle of coaching him when I had to do this audition. It was and like I hung up audition? Huh? It was a Zoom it was on Zoom. Yeah. And I hung up and he's like, I totally believed everything you said. And then I got cast. And so, yeah, I was like, we, we show up and, you know, I think a couple days before they told me what character I was going to be playing. It was, it was going to be a horse dentist was the character I was going to be playing. Well, this was like a week before. So I did all this research on horse dentistry and everything and had a conference call with, you know, a woman who actually was a horse dentist. But then literally the day before they're like, we lost the horse dentist. Now you're a ghost hunter. And so I had to do all this research into ghost hunting. <laughs> but yeah, so we, you know, we show up for filming sort of been back in January, the very strict COVID protocols. But, you know, they dress us all the same and there's three of us. And, you know, if anyone's seen the show, basically there's celebrity guests and they just take turns asking you questions and you have to answer these questions and was apparently the best at bullshitting answers. And they totally <laughs> bought me and were like, she is the ghost hunter. And I was like, nope, actually I wasn't. And then that went into another round where they're like, so they eliminated one person and then there was two of us left and they're like, okay, now you have to guess who's the real Simon Says caller. And we got through the end of that and the, you know, the, the celebrity guests are like, well, we really think it's you, but we also know you weren't really a ghost hunter and you convinced us you were. So we're going to not be sure you are for this either. But it was a lot of fun. You were too good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it was a lot of fun because that's one of the things, you know, and that's one of the reasons I love theater and, you know, improv is like, you're just, you're acting on your feet and it's like, yeah. you don't know what's going to get thrown at you and you just have to be able to go and pivot and commit. And this, you know, applies to anything in acting. It's like, make a choice and double down there. I think one of the questions they asked was, um, what entertainment do you think is the most accurately represents what ghosts are really like? And I was just like, oh, shit, shit, shit. and I was like, season three of supernatural. I don't, I, I watched all the Supernatural. I was like, I don't know if it was season three or not, but I just like went on this elaborate discussion about what apparently happened in season three of Supernatural. And they were like totally sold on that. So it's like, you know what? Just if you commit, just make that choice, commit. And if like, if people think, and I learned this in the army, honestly, when I had to do my sergeant's board, it's like, if people think you know what you're talking about, they're gonna believe you, even if you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> That's true. That's yeah. true. I remember when I was in the army. <laughs> you got to commit. You just commit. Yes, when I was in the army. But do your research. You know, that's the other thing, too, because it's like you have to, and this is like with acting, you know, and, and I had this happen in several stage productions where, you know, someone misses a cue or something goes wrong with the tech and all of a sudden, you know, you're having to like extend the scene 
to wait for whatever to get fixed or the person to make their entrance. And it's like, you just have to know that character and know that world and just go. You can't just stop the show in the middle of the show because it's a live performance. And so I think those skills really, really helped me in that, you know, it's like, just go with it. Be, trust that you understand this character and you understand this world and then just, just play. And so people want to know where they can watch it. Is it on YouTube or anything? Oh, to tell the truth. Yeah, it's, it's syndicated. I don't know. I keep getting my residual checks. So I, 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 it was on ABC or was it CBS? I honestly don't know. It was ABC. So I think it's on Hulu or, or YouTube or one of those things. But yeah, it was, it was uh, Ghost Hunter and Simon Says Caller was the episode. And there's like three or four different things per episode because it's an hour long show. And I think I was also the same episode as like, who's the real Rockette? So if you can Google that, Jeff's in the <laughs> chat. He can find anything. Jeff, if you find the clip, post it in the chat. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. If you, if you, if you do find it, let me know. And we'll yeah. Share. <laughs> well, I mean, I have a copy of it cause I found it when it came out and downloaded it and was able to get it. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It was fun. Yeah. So in which ways do you think that your physical martial arts training have been beneficial for your voice acting? Oh, I would say that and my military experience, my combat experience has definitely helped specifically voiceover with video games and with like Alita One because it's, you know, I, I do a lot of games where I have to fight and die and mm. I'm a very physical performer. So it's like, you know, and, and you, you don't have to be a fighter to know you, you can learn how to do these things. But for me, it's just natural. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'm swinging, I'm swinging a long sword or I'm shooting or I'm punching or blah, 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 blah. Where am I getting hit? Cause so it's like, I'm used to knowing how to move my body to do that and mm -hmm. to be able to, to know. And it's obviously it's heightened vocalization, you know, cause if you're actually in a real fight or training or something, you're not making as much noise. Ah! <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so for that, it really definitely, I think, helped inform a lot of the, the action type roles that I've had to play. And then obviously, when you're looking at motion capture, it definitely translates into that because you have to do different movement things and, you know, be proficient in depending on, you know, what type of game it is, they want to make sure they can call you in to do a lot of different things. And then, you know, on camera stuff as well, knowing how to fight for film and things like that. But, yeah. but specifically for voiceover, I would say for video games, it's it's definitely had the biggest impact. Yeah. And do you take any Mart like um, current stage fighting classes or anything like that? Yeah. So I mean, so in for actual, I I still train in wushu and muay thai actual, and then I do train with this veteran stunt performer who he's been in the industry for like twenty years, who teaches you know fighting for film class every week, and so yeah, because you know when you're actually doing actual martial arts and actual fighting and actual combat it is quite a bit different than doing it for film because in film you have to change up a lot of your stances because it's like you don't want to block your face and okay. you know obviously you're having to cheat so you're not actually hitting the person you know and then same with motion capture it's like okay well you're going to be fighting this far away and then the animator is going to move you in and so it's 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 taking the foundation you already have, but just like anything in acting, learning to apply it to that medium and having to tweak the technical aspects to fit what you're performing for. Wow. Yeah. It's an ongoing practice, huh? It is. It is. And it's, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's still evolving the world of motion capture and everything. It is. It's great that you're 
you know, already established in that field. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's, 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 it's been, I, and I'd never even heard of it till I moved to LA. I mean, obviously, like, I, I'd heard of Lord of the Rings and Gollum, and so I was aware of what motion <laughs> capture was. Hadn't even thought about it until I moved down here, and then really, you know, obviously got into voiceover, and through voiceover, learned about this amazing world of motion capture. And it's a very small community. It's a very small community of people. So, yeah. And do you enjoy the changes? I mean, much longer days, right? Yeah, I mean, it depends what you're doing. So, you know, if you're brought in as like a voice actor to do just performance capture cinematic scenes, you know, depending on how long your scene is, that could be a half day or a full day shoot, an eight hour shoot. But if it's an in-game day, then yeah, you're there doing all the motion movement cycles. I will say it's not like a film set. You know, you know, for a film on camera, you can be on set for 12, 14 hours. Motion capture, like I have never been on set for, well, no, usually it's eight hour days. When I was doing the project for Riot Games, it was a little different and we had longer days, you know, like I think we had like a 10 hour day for that. But it, it's, it's not quite as grueling as like on camera productions can be. Yeah. Do you feel up to taking a few questions from the audience? Let's do it. Yes. Okay. All right, you guys, get those questions in now if you have any. <laughs> Out of every character that you voiced, which one was your biggest challenge? Oh, challenge. That's a really good question. You know what? It, it's interesting because, like, different things have different challenges. Yeah. Like, Alita 1 was challenging just because it's, like, I had to really dive deep for her and had to, like, I had to delve back into some of my military experiences which was not necessarily pleasant and thank mm -hmm. thank huge that shout out to phil bach for being the most amazing director ever and supportive but really pushing you but also making sure you're okay but then other things are challenging like when i had to do death loop i i swear i had already died every way possible in a game like when i did rage 2 i was like i've literally died any way you could possibly die in a game and then i did death loop and they just threw these new crazy ways of dying at me and i'm just like okay so how does it sound to get punched in the gut push through a window and then the window slams down and decapitates you and i'm like well that doesn't really make a sound and they're like well no we need a sound and so you're like <laughs> okay this is what i think so you know so those are those always have challenges too because you're just like you know and that's kind of also the fun about it it's like because you're it's you're part of the creative process it's like okay well i'm gonna make this my own like well this is how i think it's gonna sound and now that's how it sounds so. can you do it for us right now <laughs> oh let's see so it was like oh <gasps> Cause like you have to get the sharp and then it cuts off the circulation or it cuts off the, the, the vocal cords. So yeah. And then like, you know, getting your throat slit is always fun. Cause like you dr drink a little bit of water and gargle it up and spit all over the place. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's fun. Yeah. So many ways to die. So many ways to die. That's going to be the story of like my, my autobiography or something. <laughs> Okay, I just think this is funny because Michael Myers is asking you a question. I guess I can't share it. If you have any favorite Halloween movies. Oh, I see, because this one's still open. So uh, literally, Michael Myers is asking you this question. So, Oh, my gosh. Okay, well, I have to say I am not a horror fan. Uh, yeah. But I do love thrillers. So I was like, I do love The Nightmare Before Christmas. Does that uh, count? I feel like that counts, right? That definitely um, counts. <laughs> <laughs> I always watch it every year, like around Halloween, because 
I love it so much. Have you watched um, it yet this year? I haven't watched it yet this year. I know I'm going to. Only um, a few more days. Yeah, and then like Hocus Pocus is also very fun, you know, so I like I like stuff like that. Yeah. I'm very excited for the Hocus Pocus remake too. Fiddler, she's she's like an idol to me. Let's see. If you could live inside a, a world of a TV or a TV show or movie, which one would you live inside of? Oh my gosh. Oh, that's so hard. That's a good question. I have different answers for different reasons. Like, okay, obviously the, the Star Wars world would be amazing because who really? doesn't want to play with lightsabers? I love that. It's kind of scary though. Like, it's like somebody's dying. Yeah, right? Like, it's gonna be frozen in kryptonite but then i'm also like the witcher would be really cool because like i would love to be like a badass shield maiden in that and maybe have some you know magic magic yeah, I, that is a really that is a <laughs> great question by the way and i'm like hmm, so many things for so many reasons i think just because i am such a huge star wars geek i think i'm gonna have to go with star wars but i have lots of other thoughts <laughs> The Fantastic. Marvel Universe would also be super, super awesome, but that spans so many different things. It's like, you know what, though? I would have to say, oh, no, I take it back. I'm a big Whovian, so I think I'd have to go with Doctor Who just because then I can go anywhere in time and space. So literally, limitless. I've got it all covered. I can go to all the places. <laughs> it's limitless. Wow. Yeah, that may take a lot of time to explore. Oh, Jeff. Pat Burns has a great question. What's it been like to teach military? I don't know where that question just went. Oh, to military combat VO. Yeah, to other actors. It's actually been really great. Uh, you know, because I was a teacher for so long. I, I do love teaching. And I just like, I never thought, because I'm like, I'm just a working actor. Like, I have idols that like, you know, you know, like who I'm like, oh, well, you have way much more experience than I do. I have no business teaching. But then I had you know, the help network reach out to me about teaching. And then I had queer box reach out to me about teaching. I was like, Oh, I guess people do care what I think and my experience, but it, the, both, both times that I'm teaching again for help next month. And uh, it's really great because, you know, it's, it's a very unique way of acting and learning how to do it properly and learning how to do it safely. Cause I'm, mm -hmm. Because being a singer my whole life, I'm such a stickler for vocal health, mm -hmm. such a stickler. And so to be able to get these people behind the mic and just like, and to just offer some redirects and get them to really go to that place. And then, hey, if you could just tweak your breathing a little, let's support a little more with the diaphragm and then just see mm -hmm. the transition and, and, and how people can go from being, you know, because a lot of people are very intimidated by military call outs and efforts. You know, um, for me, I just felt like it was a natural fit. And yeah, it's just been so great. And I'm glad, you know, that people seem to like the classes and I, that I have something to offer, which is great. Cause that's all I really like, that's why I'm in this industry and why I like voiceover so much. It's like, if you've got something to help someone else, just do it. Like if there's something I can do to help someone else, you know, succeed in their career, like I'm not threatened by that. Like, great, yeah. go book that amazing job. Like do it because- Katie Lee always said that when she got started in voiceover, Rissy Taylor was like, there's plenty of room for everybody. Come on in. Yeah, it is. And there's, and you know what? And cause I do do on camera and I see this so much in the on camera world. Like there is so much competition and you know, everyone feels like someone else is a threat to them. And you know, it's like, Oh, well you're only friends with me cause you want something for me. And I'm like, no, like I've, 
I, I am so happy, you know, like my old roommate, I was able to get him on the loop group for Marvel's What If, and that ended up leading to them offering him a role. And I was like, I literally just, I had a loop coordinator reach out and was like, hey, we need like young and ethnic. And I was like, let me call my ex roommate. And I was like, so excited when I found out that happened, you know? And so it's like, I, I love hearing things like that. It's like, because yeah, like you said, there's room for everyone. <laughs> Do you do a lot of looping? I don't do a ton. I have done some. I, I was lucky enough to be able to call be to be called in to work on Black Widow because they needed a woman who could do fighting efforts. So I did a lot of the fighting efforts for the other widows when Scarlett Johansson fought them. And then I was called on to work on the boys, the TV show, Amazon's The Boys as well. Mm -hmm. I love looping. I absolutely adore it. And if anyone has the magic answer as to how to be able to do more of it, let me know. But looping is one of my favorite things because it's like it's improv and it's, you know, you're just constantly throwing new stuff at you, which is, which is so fun. Yeah. It's fun to be also working in community, you know, that yeah. work family. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. I know we're at about time and I just want to see if they're, are, they're asking, have you voiced or dubbed any? So anime is still something that like I have not done a ton of. And obviously, you know, a lot of it was very much centralized to Texas. Prior to the pandemic, things have opened up here. But I have, I did, I did a guest spot on Sailor Moon Super S. And then I did another guest spot on Jeff. You probably know this better than I do. That show that came out a couple months ago, which had two lesbian lead characters, which was great. I played the mom of one of them, Adachi and Shamuri, something like that. And then I worked on 70 Deadly Sins, which just came out uh, last week, I guess. So a few things here and there. Yeah, yeah. it's a good amount. Yeah. 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 Well, Lindsay, it's been so lovely chatting with you and getting to know all about oh, you and your, so much your story. Me. Yeah, I'm glad it worked out. And so where can our, our fans find you? Well, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook at Lindsay Rousseau. Just make sure you spell my name right. I'm the only one. Like I said, you can find my talk show on YouTube, The Rollout, which Jeff mm -hmm. has pinned the link in the chat. Thank you so much. And we drop new episodes every Friday at noon Pacific. And then occasionally just follow my social media. I pop up and we'll guest on, on Friends D&D &D, Twitch streams every now and then. And yeah, a little bit. And then of course, Transformers Worth for Cyber Trauma on Netflix. So you can check out those three seasons there. And if you play video games, you've probably killed me. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Lindsay. Um, and we'll see you guys next week. Have a great night. Thanks for tuning in to Allison's Wonderland, where we explore the wild and wonderful world of animation and video games. Please remember to subscribe and leave us a review. For more episodes of Allison's Wonderland, please visit us at www.allisonpacker.com. See you next week.